0: Amen. Well, welcome. Uh, good, to, good to be together. Uh, good to hear voices singing. We usually sit in the front row. We moved a couple back and I can hear voices more all around me. And so, uh, really a joy uh, to be able to sing together. Uh, it's good to be together. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 9. Uh, I'm grateful. We, we sang this morning already uh, again and again about God's faithfulness. He, we're weak and He's strong. I'm grateful that God is not like us. We get tired. Uh, we get worn out pretty easily, and maybe you've noticed when we get tired, we often become more selfish and crabby. Please don't nudge or look at someone in your family right now as I say that, right? But, but that's reality. That's what happens. We, we get to a point where we feel like I've got nothing left in my tank. But we worship a God who never slumbers or sleeps. He, by the word of His power, created all things. It is by His word and His power that everything is sustained. And thousands of years before you and I were born, He was at work doing all of this, and He continues to be at work when we sleep and when we're worn out. So I'm grateful to God for that. Most of us at one time or another have endured a season of life where we just felt like, I, I wake up in the morning with nothing in my tank. And so it feels like day after day, there are demands on us that we simply can't meet. Some of you are feeling like you're in that season even right now. We, we, most of us get to that point at some point in the evening. Maybe yours is like 6 o'clock, maybe you last till 9 o'clock, but we come to the end of a day and just say, like, I'd love to keep going. There's things I intended to do that haven't gotten done yet. There's people I'd like to talk to and meet with that I didn't. So so we have these unfinished lists all the time, and we would love to keep going, but every day we have this reminder we can't. We, We don't have what it takes to constantly go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We need rest. We need a break. We need a vacation. We need a nap. We need a good night's sleep. Uh, we, we need uh, time alone in the quiet. We need time with Jesus. And we need all of this because we recognize that we do not have enough, but He does. We don't have enough, but He does. And in Him we have all that we need. That's what we were just singing about. Last week, we restarted our series in the Gospel According to Luke Beginning in chapter 9 now, and so today we pick up where we left off. And what we saw last week was Jesus empowering and sending out his disciples to do the things that they previously had just seen him do. They were observing him and his power over nature and demons and disease and death as he preached the gospel to people. Now they were sent out to do the same. And so that's where we left off, all of them being sent out. Now today, we pick it up in verse 10, when they're coming back together. And we're going to see, as we look at Luke 9, 10 through 17, that the disciples are going to be taken to a place where they're forced to admit that they do not have what it takes. They've been able to do all kinds of things, empowered by Jesus, But as they come back, they are forced to admit they don't have what it takes to meet the needs of the people around them right then and there. But they're going to find out that Jesus does. And it's a message we need to hear. So if you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? We need help. Let's pray. God, would you help me? Would you help us? I want the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer, we want to be uh, good soil so that as the seeds are planted, there is growth. And, and that has to happen by your hand, by the work of your spirit. And so would you be pleased for our good and for your glory to do that now in the preaching, first the reading and then the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. Hear God's word on their return. The apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Amen. You can be seated. Well, so so we're people that want to understand. When we hear God's word, we want to understand what it is that God is saying. But we also want to be people who don't just hear the word, but we want to be people who, who understand it, who believe it, and who obey it. So. Weaved into every sermon is not just like, well, here's some information that you need. You can read a commentary for that. Preaching is, is helping us to work at applying the word that we're reading and believing and understanding as well. And so oftentimes, very clearly in the sermon outline, I even just lay out, here's application. We're going to get that through each of the points today, but I don't have it clearly laid out. Essentially, the application point is the same as the point of each of the four sections there. So it's not laid out, but you're going to hear it as we walk through the passage today. So first, let's dive in and make sure we're understanding what we're seeing in the text. Verse 10 says this, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. You've been somewhere before and you've come back having experienced something unlike what you've ever experienced before and you want to give a report on it. Last weekend we were short 30 people in here because we had our middle school students gone on the middle school winter retreat called Winter Blast. How many of you parents of middle schoolers got to hear stories of Winter Blast when your kids came home? Right? When they go and experience something, they want to tell you what it was that they experienced. Jesus had sent out his disciples, and upon coming back, they needed to report to Jesus what they had experienced. So they told him all that they had done. And then the rest of verse 10 says this, And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So, so the next thing that, that Jesus recognizes in them, as they kind of probably are with excitement and maybe some exhaustion, uh, sharing with him all that they had seen God do through them, he decides, You need to withdraw apart with me to a place. So, so, a particular place away from where they had been doing ministry right then and there, and they need to retreat to a place on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Somewhere around that town is where they're going. You you imagine these disciples who have been, you know, watching Jesus for some time now do all these things, and now they get to do all the things that Jesus had been doing. And and so I'm sure all of it was very exhilarating, very exhausting, and Jesus recognizes what you need is to be apart. So it says they withdrew apart with Him. So they're coming apart from everybody else, but going to spend time with each other and With Jesus. I just know, so remember what they were doing. They were preaching the gospel. Uh, and they were healing people. I don't heal people. I do preach the gospel regularly. I just do it in one village. Remember, they were going from village to village doing this. I do it in one village on one morning, and I need a nap on Sunday afternoon. I can't imagine uh, these guys, uh, new to this ministry of preaching of the kingdom of God, traveling from place to place, pouring themselves out, and so they are now withdrawing apart with Jesus. But their time alone with Jesus, which it seems they needed, gets interrupted. Did you notice that in verse 11? In verse 11, we find it says, When the crowds learned it, they followed him. Jesus, remember we saw at the end of the passage last week that many are seeking to know Jesus. They're hearing of the message that he's preaching and the work that he's doing and they want to know Jesus. So maybe not surprisingly, Even as Jesus takes his disciples to go away to a lonely place together, the crowds hear of it and they begin to gather. A large crowd, which we find out later in the passage. But Jesus doesn't scold the crowd. Instead, it says he does three things. He welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. Jesus sees what the people need and while the disciples maybe are rolling their eyes because they were hoping for some time apart with Jesus, Jesus is doing the work of ministry and they get to watch him do it again. Quick note of application here. We need to withdraw with Jesus and we can also expect interruptions. We need to withdraw with Jesus. Many of us would say our, our life is full. It's busy. Our calendar is full. There's always somewhere to go, some people to meet with, some things, some tasks that we need to get done. Most of us feel busy most of the time. But disciplining ourselves to take time to withdraw and be apart with Jesus is necessary. It's hard, but we must do it. And we need to acknowledge that even as we try to do it, there's likely to be interruptions. You've seen maybe, you know, people that maybe they'll even like uh, post a picture on social media and they're having their quiet time and there's their Bible open and and then there's a journal right next to it and the cup of coffee has steam coming off of it. And you're looking at it like, oh, I want that. And reality though is, like you make the coffee, you pour it in the cup and then you can't find your Bible and you got to go try to find your bible somewhere and then while you're finding your bible your phone dings and then that draws your attention away or one of the kids needs you like right now so you get back and your cup of coffee isn't steaming anymore and your mind is distracted you try to read something you just read a whole page but you didn't get a single word of what you just read you're like all right I'm done right? That, that's more like reality. And I'm sure the disciples who were withdrawing apart to be alone with Jesus, seeing all these crowds coming, like, all right, well, that time's ruined, right? So, so I think we need to understand that, that this is going to happen. And probably when that happens, One of the things that we need to do is just acknowledge, okay, I still need this. That's okay. Interruptions are going to happen, but I'm going to find some other time. We're going to find other times where the disciples do get away to a lonely place with Jesus. We need to convince ourselves that we need to do this. God, God, convince me. I mean, that's just a prayer. God, convince me that more than I need all kinds of other things that could take my time and attention, I know that I need to be alone with you. So, help me to prioritize making a time, making a place, and when it doesn't work out and it gets interrupted or I get distracted, help me to do it again the next day and just to keep at it. Let's continue on because now we're going to see in verses 12 and 13 that the disciples are about to find out that they don't have what it takes. You know how you're stomach starts to growl. Last week, I just, I got done preaching, like, I don't feel like that sermon was very good. And then I, then I, like, we uploaded the sermon, like, that was 42 minutes. I'm sorry, that's a long sermon, uh, right? And I get that sometimes you're, like, you're getting hungry, your stomach's starting to growl, like, even if it's okay, like, but I'm hungry right now, I want to eat something. The, the point at which Jesus has been meeting with all of these people, teaching and healing, it's now the end of the day. It's not just like 11.30. The whole day has gone by and some stomachs are growling. Okay, so so look what happens here in verse 12. It says, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Here's the solution that the disciples see. Because again, remember, we find out later, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. There's a ton of people. And and so their solution is, well, we're kind of in this relatively remote place. We don't have what it takes to, like, we didn't do the catering thing ahead of time. So, They say, here's their solution, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So Jesus could have said to them, don't worry guys, I'll take care of it. Or he could have said to them, you're right, that's a good plan. Send them away and we'll regather again tomorrow after everybody's found a place to stay and something to eat. But notice what Jesus actually does. Look at verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You, you give them, so there's 12 disciples with Jesus, Right? The, the apostles, the ones who had been sent out, have now come back together. There's 12 of them, and there's 5,000 plus of all the people. And Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. He invites them into the work that he's about to do. Could he have done it all by himself? For sure he could have. But he invites them in and, and gives them some responsibility. You give them something to eat. To which they answer, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, their problem is there's a low inventory. They've done inventory, and, and the inventory says, we have five loaves and two fish. Even with meager portions, that might not even feed them, right? Let alone the entire crowd that is gathered in front of them. So the disciples very quickly learn, we don't have what it takes. We don't. Again, quick application for us. I think Jesus often puts us in those situations where we are forced to look at ourselves and look at our own inventory, our own bank account, our own broken bodies, our own energy levels, our own wisdom, our own talents and skills, and come to the conclusion, I don't have what it takes. This is what is demanded, this is what is needed, and I don't have what it takes. The disciples clearly saw this, and I think Jesus allows them, helps them to see this. And we also need to be regularly reminded that we don't have what it takes. But the passage doesn't end there. It goes on, point three out of four. It's true that the disciples don't have what it takes to feed this crowd, but I want you to listen to what Jesus does. Take note of how he invites them to see two things. He invites them to see, well, you're dependent. You are dependent. And also, he invites them to participate with him in the ministry that he's about to do. Notice these things in verses 14 and 15. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. So if you're, if you're dividing those numbers up, you've got 100 groups of 50 men plus women and children. Okay? So, so lots of groups that they're dividing them up in. But take note of this. I think it's good that we would note that they are doing what Jesus told them to do without knowing what Jesus is about to do. Jesus doesn't tell them, listen, I got a plan. We're going to take the five loaves and the two fish, and here's what I'm going to do, so get everybody set. No, he just tells them, the last thing they've said is, we got five loaves and two fish, we don't have what it takes. And Jesus tells them, go divide them into groups of about 50. So they go do it. They take a step of obedience, not knowing what it is that Jesus plans to do, yet they go do it. And then we find this in verse 16. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. It's Jesus who is using his power to do the miracle of providing food for this massive crowd out of this tiny little inventory. But notice that Jesus is inviting the disciples to participate, giving them the privilege of participating in this work. Their ministry is going to be completely dependent on what he provides. He's the one providing the food, but they are the ones to set it before the people. We don't know exactly what this would have looked like, but he's divided them up into crowds and seated them in groups of about 50. And let's just say, let's just say maybe the 12 disciples could maybe carry enough food for one group. Twelve of them all together could maybe, in baskets or something, carry enough food to get to one group. Fifty-plus people, maybe they could do that. So imagine what has to happen. With how many people there are, we said there's a hundred-plus groups, right? Imagine these twelve disciples coming to Jesus, loading up, and then going and unloading. They give away all that they have to this one group, and then they come back to Jesus. And then they go to another group and give away all that they have to that group. And then they come back to Jesus. How many times do they have to do that? A hundred times, right? So so you get this picture of how dependent they are. The disciples have to keep coming back to Jesus because they don't have what it takes. But Jesus continues to provide for them and they continue to bring it to the people. It's a beautiful picture of Dependence, I think, also a beautiful picture of the privilege of participating with Jesus in the ministry that he calls them to. I imagine uh, that this was probably enjoyable for the disciples. These people were hungry, and when you're hungry and somebody brings you food, you smile, right? Uh, And for you to be the one to provide what it is that these people need, uh, I'm sure it brings a smile. They're probably enjoying this privilege of participating with Jesus. And then they come back. And every time they come back, there's more food ready to go out again. And I'm sure they smile at each other on the way. Hey, I bet there's going to be more. Here, sure enough, there's more. They come to Jesus and they keep coming back. Jesus gives dependent disciples the privilege of participation. Some application for us. We are dependent disciples. We are. We're dependent disciples. Anything we do, we're dependent on Him to provide. And we are grateful, aren't we, that Jesus gives the privilege of participating with Him in His work. They were trying to minister to a crowd of 5,000 plus. We live in a town of 5,000 plus. There's a lot of people. You count the people in the surrounding area, there's many more. And I would say many in our area are hungry, starving, starving, desperately in need of Jesus that is the reality for so many in the area in which we live and we look at what we have and what we have might look an awful lot like five loaves and two fishes what what exactly do we expect that we're going to accomplish individually and even as a church you know, we just got done with this, this, this talking of, of Christ's building project, how he is building up his church. We're also having some conversations about our building and a building project that hopefully uh, in the relatively near future we'll have some more actual numbers on. But but basically, what, where we're at so far is we look at the inventory, we're like, well, the, there's this harvest field out there in our community we think part of making disciples and sending them out is gathering together to worship and to be discipled in this gathering and we could use some more space for this so we've been looking into this but we look at our inventory and our inventory doesn't seem to match up with the prospective cost of what is about to come we're like well here's what we got and here's what it's probably going to cost should we go ahead with that i wonder though if it would be good for us to recognize that this might be a call in which Jesus is calling us to trust him more. I wonder if we shouldn't just pray for God to give us the courage to do what he wants us to do, not knowing exactly how it's all going to work out, but trusting that as we continue to come back to him, he's going to continue to provide as we continue to give away what we have. I, I wonder. I'm not saying for sure. I'm just I'm wondering about that. I'm praying about that. I don't know. What I do know for sure is this, that we are dependent disciples. And anything that we seek to accomplish, we are dependent on him to provide. And and I'm also confident of this, that participating in the ministry that Jesus is doing, not only here locally, but through our missions partners, uh, all of this work, this is a joy to be a part of. This is not a drag, this is not something we dread. It is a joy, a privilege to participate in the ministry work that God is doing for the sake of the gospel here and around the world. And so I want us to be a church that just recognizes, well, we want to continue to pour ourselves out in every way, giving our time, giving our money, whatever it might be. We're giving ourselves and continuing to come back to Jesus, knowing that we're dependent on him and trusting him to fill us up with whatever we need to go out and continue to provide and participate in his ministry in that way. That's kind of talking about it from a high level as a church, but I just think of just everybody at home. We need to recognize that, that we, are, we are pouring ourselves out. As we pour ourselves out, we are going to get to points where we just feel empty. And what we must continually do is continually come back to Jesus. Recognizing we're dependent on Him. And I'm going to have nothing to give if I don't come to Him. And I receive from Him and I turn with what I've received and I freely give of my time and everything else to people around me. And we're going to see, I think, Jesus then provide abundantly. Verse 17, the last verse gets us there. It says this, and they all ate. They all ate, and listen, and were satisfied. So it's not just that, you know, they got some crumbs that were going to hold them over until they could, you know, get to another place. They all ate, 5,000 men plus women and children, and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. There was leftovers. Right? What they had was so little, but eventually it turns into everybody eating and everybody being satisfied, so much so that there are leftovers, now, Luke makes a point of pointing out that there were 12 baskets left over and we could you know, speculate and read a lot into that. I mean, there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 disciples. I, I don't know. Uh, he doesn't really ask us to read a whole bunch into it. Regardless, though, what we know is that Jesus has given in abundance so much so that everybody's satisfied and there's also leftovers. So, any application in this for us? I think there is. I want to close with some good news, some gospel application. Because listen, the good news has to be bigger than Jesus inviting the 12 disciples to feed those people that one meal on that one day 2,000 years ago. Because here's what's true. You know what's going to happen with all of those people who ate that meal that day? Guess what they're going to want in the morning? Breakfast. Right? I like breakfast. And then, and then the next day, probably around lunchtime, they're probably going to want lunch. And they're going to need to continue to find food, right? So, so that miracle, that provided for them one meal at, on one day. Praise God that he is able to provide that. But I think the really good news is that in Jesus... He doesn't just provide us the daily bread that are needed for that day but in Jesus he calls himself the bread of life through whom we have eternal life. He is the one who will ultimately satisfy. Not just what it is that Jesus provides but Jesus himself being our satisfaction. In John chapter 6. John chapter 6 I'm going to read a couple of verses from there. You can turn there in your Bible. John chapter 6 Verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We we sang that song earlier, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy. I should come to him. Right? That's just echoing what Jesus is saying here. Skip ahead down to verse 47 where Jesus continues saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Again, just pointing out, like there is is the the things that we feel like. We have hunger pangs that remind us, I need food today. But ultimately, however much food we eat, it will get us through another day. But eventually, we die. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus says, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is what we most need. All of the things that our body or the world tells us that we need for that day, and some of them we really do need. We do need food. But Jesus says he himself is what we need eternally. He himself is the one who will satisfy eternally. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus came not ultimately just to teach and to perform miracles, but Jesus came to give His flesh, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. That's why in that song we just sang, we sang uh, His work was accomplished with wrath on His shoulders. He has called us His own. He was bearing the wrath of the Father for our sin on His shoulders. On the cross, that's where His work was accomplished. His work was not accomplished primarily in providing food for a day for a crowd that had gathered, but in providing His very body as the sacrifice for sin that we might be forgiven in Him. God has provided for us what we most need. He has provided for us what will satisfy forever, and that is... He has provided for us His Son. He so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so sinner alienated from God, sinner by nature and by choice, put your trust in Jesus today and be reconciled to Him. There's no other way to be made right with God than through faith in Jesus and what He has accomplished For us on the cross and in the resurrection. And those of us who trust in Jesus, we need to be reminded we are those who have been rescued, reconciled, and renewed, as we recited earlier. And we need to be those who then turn and worship Him, giving all of ourselves for the work that He's doing in and through us and coming back to Him regularly as those who receive and those who freely give, joyfully participating in the privilege of working with him in the work that he is doing in this hungry, lost, and dying world. It's a privilege to be a part of it. And we're dependent on him for everything we need in order to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, You've given us really everything we need. You've provided food. We have clothing, we have shelter, we have some degree of health. But we know that we do live in a world where, where our bellies are going to get hungry again. And our wardrobes will need to be updated and our houses are always in need of maintenance. And our bodies are broken. And so we thank you that our hope is not in any of those things, but our hope is in you who have given us what we most need. And that is your son, Jesus, the bread of life. So thank you for giving eternal life to all who trust in Christ alone. We are undeserving, but we are thankful. So I pray that you would motivate us to share this good gift with others. To be those who distribute the bread to a hungry, lost, and dying world. Motivate us to do that even as we sing this song and are reminded and remind one another of the great love that you have for us in Christ. Do that even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand.